This is episode 21 of the Music Snobs podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined as always with Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur, the music songs. This is part two of our special look at the career of Marvin Gaye. We're going to focus in on the muses in his life. Uh, two women, very, very important to his classic period in the 1970s. Two wives. His first wife, Anna Gordy Gay and his second wife, Janice Hunter Gay. And we will go around the table with each snob's thoughts on who today holds the mantle, who carries the torch of Marvin Gaye's legacy. Let's, let's move to the role of the muse in Marvin's creative process. So he does, let's get it on in 1972. And during this time, he meets Janice Hunter. Meeting her comes, well, at the same time that his first marriage to Anna Gordy Gay, Barry Gordy's sister, is deteriorated. And Jan plays a huge influence on his next two, three albums going into the 70s. But Anna's influence preceded all this because he was he said he was singing to Anna through the 60s. So a lot of that 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 uh, music, when he started getting into Grapevine and the deterioration of their marriage, that was Anna. You know, that was the war that he was involved with, with Anna, um, the battle between him and her. So, no, but I, I get your point. Yeah, him, you know, those two women. Um, I think Marvin was influenced and his mother as well early on, his mother. I think that Marvin was was uh, the women in his life um, influenced him and uh, always acted as a muse to him. He stated early on in his career that when he discovered the power that he had, you know, to connect with women through his music, um, and they would be in the audience screaming at him. He said he felt like he was one of them. You know, he, he understood them on that level, on a very uh, intimate level where he felt like he connected to them in that way. And I think he preferred the, the company of women, you know, over the company of men almost, um, not just sexually, but just to have them around him. So I, I, I so think he had, that he had many muses. He had many muses and they were all um, to him. Women were and this is, I guess, that divided soul thing women kind of navigated between uh the madonna complex you know the the sanctified complex and the horror complex as far as the uh the nasty uh, uh degenerate sexual complexes and the, the masochism that he enjoyed um not just physically but just mentally and emotionally um so i think he looked to these women to be a, a mother figure and also to be um a torturer to him you know a torturer for, from the standpoint of like we talked about earlier with Jan taking her from the innocent you know viewpoint that he had of her and, and pretty much forcing her to betray him you know uh, and getting off on that so but yeah the, the muse aspect could he have made these albums without these women I don't think so he would have to found other women to make albums let me ask you this I asked her, but let me ask you this on, on the record could he have gotten away with any of this now? I don't think so. Marrying a 16, 7, well, I think, well, by the time I got married, she's probably 19 or 20, but living with a 17-year-old girl? No. While still being married. No, while still know. being married, right. Yeah. Nah. And then nah. sending them out. Impregnating I mean, her. Right, yeah, nah. all that stuff, right. Nah. 
Nah. It would have it totally like wrecked his career, basically, right? You think? Uh, yeah, in the same way that uh, uh you know, uh, R. Kelly's, uh, you know, same with uh, Aaliyah, yeah, right. mm-hmm. you know, uh, Woody Allen. bad bad decisions right. with um and Woody Allen. Well, it, it's it's a difference though if you're a white artist, you know, because Woody Allen and Jerry what's the, Lee uh, Lewis, Jerry what's, Lee Lewis, what's the director uh, Jahan over there in Europe, um, who still Roman Polanski, Roman, Roman Polanski, Polanski. Mm-hmm. you know, they, they can still receive awards. Yeah, but and stuff. if you pull out of movies, you go with Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. you know, and look what he's been able to do, Elvis for that matter. What's interesting though like you asked could this have happened now i'll flip that around and say okay i also don't think a contemporary artist would be and again this touches on the honesty again be as honest about his muse to the point where he says her name in songs repeatedly you know what i'm saying when i want you he says janet's name he says jan and you know i love you it just repeatedly throughout who does that now you know what I'm saying? Who says the name? Even if we know that they're, you know, outside of, you know, some hip hoppers, maybe Jay-Z says Beyonce or whatever, but I'm saying R&B soul singers, who says the name of their woman on their song and makes that a part of the whole mythology, you know what I'm saying, of their, of this of these albums? I can't think of any, but our muse is always destructive. There's uh, Stevie Wonder and Sarita Wright. Uh, not that these relationships, these interpersonal relationships you know, lasted through marriage, but they weren't, you know, destructive as some of the early examples that we just gave. Um, there's Prince and he has several muses, but there's Prince and, and Susanna Melvoin. Um, there's Prince and Maite, although to me it's, it's destructive. <laughs> but um, who else do we have? We have uh, Kurt Cobain and, uh, and um, Courtney, Courtney Love. Courtney Love. Mm-hmm. David Ruffin was obsessed with Tammy Terrell for a while. Yeah, but he never was in this position to really express it in song. Nas had an opportunity to really oh, embark man. on this yeah. with Khalees, and he, the one song, he never really did anything. Now, that was the situation where you... He did it on that. On the, There's a maybe um, maybe two or three songs that really dealt with it. Yeah, but like, he never I really can't remember the name of the song, but it might have been one of the last songs on that album where yeah. he really delved into his relationship with her and it was I thought it was brilliant right yeah but the, but the entire album that's didn't, what I'm saying yeah. you get one song album you know, cover was, was great album cover was great one song was great but it's, to be able to really do that you know nobody's it goes back to what we were saying earlier nobody's going to be that honest nobody is really not no even artist, no not even not, not with their personal relationships no not with the muses not with the women in their lives they're not going to be that vulnerable then the only artist in hip hop that had a chance to be that honest was Tupac He's the only one that had that type of bravery to really get into, you know, all right, I'm going to expose you to the personal side of my life. But I think it comes down to the relationship, the nature of the relationship with these women, because a lot of these artists we talk about had, you know, relationships with women and had, you know, I don't want to call them normal because what is normal. But let's just for the sake of the argument, let's just say had normal relationships. Marvin specifically you know drew because i'm gonna say most artists to me male artists and even some female artists draw inspiration from women you know women have constantly been a source of inspiration for writers and poets and movie makers and musicians since the beginning of time but marvin's relationship with them was unique in the sense that to to answer uh, arthur's question it was both his salvation and his destruction you know he, he he viewed women as um they would always lead him to hell. They would always lead him to to evil places, basically. But he needed them. You know what I'm saying? And so you listen to a lot of his music. There are songs where it fluctuates in the same song. Mm-hmm. It'll mm-hmm. fluctuate mm-hmm. from that Madonna complex to that horror complex almost. 
And it's a very it's it's very troubling. You know, I can imagine how it must have been, you know, to be around him, you know, during that time period. Can you give um, an example? Can you name an example? Oh, a lot of songs, even like I said on uh, I Want You, um, all the way around, you know, where he's talking about, uh, you know, Jan and the fact that he can't get enough of her, even though she's promiscuous, even though she hurts him. Um, there's 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 just, you know, he, it's almost like he couldn't help but sprinkle that in um, in certain songs. Here, my dear, obviously, you know, saying it's, it's full of that, uh, you know, one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my life is Anna's song uh, off of Here, My Dear. And to me, is is Marvin at the the peak of his powers, you know, as a, as a vocalist, um, and he's going back and forth in that song, basically remembering uh, when you know they were living in Detroit. They're sitting around watching the children play. The snow is falling. All these beautiful things, but the sound of his voice, you know, and and again, you know, at the end of the song, he says, "Here, my dear, here it is. I always told you I'd write a song about you that would be beautiful and that'd be full of all these things." here it is there's still that cynicism at the end because you know that this is the end of their relationship intertwines the the love the tremendous because let's i think we've talked a lot about his love for jan but let's not downplay the the love and the the i don't want to say obsession but the love that he had for anna you know at the beginning of their marriage it intertwines that sort of uh worship that he had for her with this bitterness in this ending all in the same song not so much lyrically as through the sound of his uh his voice um so and that again that album is full of examples where he goes from you know, the worship uh, uh, of her and then the destruction. Um, one of you guys mentioned, I think it was Arthur, you mentioned you were just listening to uh, When Did I Stop Loving You? If you listen to that song, he says, you know, all these, we had so many great times. I remember this and I remember that, but nothing will compare to, you know, how effed up this is right now. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Another thing about that too, I'm glad you used that as the, as the example. Well, when you, when did you stop loving me? When did I stop loving you? The, there are pieces of the song where he takes co-responsibility. You know, I'm I'm not really bitter, you know, but then the next line is, is you know, how could you do this to me? Never thought that you would do this to me. How could and you that, call that the police ends on the song, me? Right. right. And that ends the song with, it, there's no chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at no. the structure. Yeah, let's just there's step no away for a second. Look at song. the structure of this song. Right. It's like five minutes or six minutes right. of talking. Of talking. And <laughs> the end of talking. the song is... The title. Mm-hmm. When did you stop loving me? When did I stop, stop loving, loving you? you. Mm-hmm. And then he does it as a, a refrain instrumental, you know, later in that album. But that, you know, I've gone back and forth and this kind of fits in with the whole muse thing and what's, you know, the benefits. And I've gone, you know, to me, what's going on is the greatest album ever, ever made. But man, here, my dear, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like this album is devastating from a point from a from a jazz, R&B, soul pop it's like everything do I- is on that album it's like it's like being in chicago downtown chicago looking at architecture you can see every form of architecture has ever been you know created over the last hundred years in this one place 
that album is like that to me as far as Sonic's like man everything is here you know everything could could an album like that be made today I was about to say if we flip genders we can really look at the the closest I'm thinking the closest thing to that right now if you flip genders it's probably Jill Scott from a man as far as vocally no just as far as like putting out there how her personal relationships affects her art and her songwriting I don't disagree with you but I think I think Adele's 21 is a stronger support for that statement okay I was just talking about from a career I hear what you're saying I'm talking about from a career standpoint if you go from album to album okay you know Jill's happy Jill's sad Jill's mad oh right Jill's happy you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, and it all yeah, built yeah. around her relationship with whatever man she's involved with you know right, so that, that, that's right. kind of what I'm going I think Lizelle and E Flat on her first album is a, is a you know I've said before it's a perfect song to me mm-hmm. um, but I would say to me over the last you know several years the most honest artist I've heard was uh, was Amy Winehouse you know on, mm-hmm. on Back to Black that was that was you know the most honest declaration I've heard from an artist who just put it all out there Everything, everything from her drug addiction, you know. What I'm saying? Yeah, but we're no, I'm specifically talking about muses. We're talking about that's what I'm saying. The gender. We're talking about muses and, and the men, or we're talking about the women in somebody's life and how it affects their art. And I was specifically speaking on Jill Scott, not just the honesty, but about bringing the male factor. Well, well, uh, Amy had a muse. Amy had a muse. But, it, but there were other things outside forces that were, you know, like you said, the drug situation. Okay, well, well, well. In that case, then taking it back to Michelle and Dario Cello. Uh, Rebecca Walker she inspired much of Comfort Woman for example Michelle I think is is definitely using the criteria of soul singer of honesty and vulnerability and, and rawness I think Michelle is uh, more open than almost any other lyricist I can think of I, and I only say almost because I want to hedge my bets there <laughs> <Maybe something else. laughs> correct me if I'm wrong Jay but to me Michelle and even Prince to some degree and some of these other uh, geniuses they are more poets in the traditional sense and what I mean by that is that they are more adept at using metaphor at using similes at using illusions Marvin was a poet in a very basic sense in other words he would say if the tree is a tree he gonna tell you it's a tree he ain't gonna come up with some colorful illusion for it right and from a listening standpoint that brought you, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I enjoy both forms, but from a raw type of, okay, what is this cat talking about? That immediately brought you into the conversation. Whereas you didn't have to, again, with why did you stop? You know, when did I stop loving you? Why, when, you know, all that, it was like a conversation. No, I, I agree. And, and the thing that I always got from Marvin wasn't necessarily that he was less of a poet, but was a kind of frustration or desperation of or pain that it was like look, I can't even sit down and, and, and think through in an artistic way. I just got to I just got to tell you straight out. <laughs> I just got to tell you what's up. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, ain't that enough? Right, but at the same time, none of these other people that you mentioned had a voice like his. I'd rather mm-hmm. hear him sing mm-hmm. "Tree." Mm-hmm. I'd yeah, rather okay. hear him yeah, sing yeah, the yeah, word "Tree" yeah, yeah. than have somebody else try to paint a whole picture. When you have a voice like this, you don't have to go any other places. Yeah, because his instrument was so beautiful. I agree. Exactly. But but could it be that we need more muse oriented music? Not if it's well, not going to be great. If, well, 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 not well, but doesn't well, that on. make it great? Hang doesn't on, that help on. to make it great? No, it's not in everybody to do it that way. I think what we're effectively saying is a muse is a catalyst mm-hmm. for expression, right? Yes. So to the extent that you need a catalyst, to the extent that you can't tap that expression yourself then yes absolutely we need it and to answer your question scoop not if it's not great we won't know until we've got it 
And I think that there's much more potential in art for somebody to achieve greatness or produce a work of greatness if they're speaking from the heart, whether it's writing, you know, write what you know, or whether it's uh, music, whenever it comes from your soul or from your heart or from a place of honesty, whenever you're not trying to emulate someone else, to use Erica's words, when you're bleeding for it, definitely there's much more potential for it to strike a chord. Now, that's all art can do. When we talk about greatness, we mean resonating with someone else. And if a muse is more likely to, to deliver that, then yeah, absolutely, we, we, we need more. If that's the key that unlocks it, yes. And a muse isn't necessarily a person, interpersonal relationships between human beings. You take an artist like Joni Mitchell. Joni had the ability to be able to take concepts of her own life and, and even others and structure these, these albums around them. Uh, what jumps out to me was uh, Hegira from 1976, where the entire Agreed album completely. is a travelogue about being on the road and not having any ties to anybody and what that, what that does to you, both the isolation Agreed. and the, the, the weak you know, uh, one-night stands and weak relationships that they have with people. Agreed. And that's the document of that. That's that document of that aspect of her life. But let's not forget what we started the whole conversation about. Marvin didn't necessarily need those muses. There wasn't, you know, it, it's not like what's going on had a muse of some, you know, political revolutionary. Um, you I know, don't know. I think that was, was the like, muse. No, that was the muse. Yes. But what I'm saying is it wasn't it didn't need necessarily a, a human being embodiment of that. Yes, a muse of some sort. So I agree with you. A muse, a trigger, a catalyst, a key to unlock what you have inside is very, very helpful, if not integral for most artists. Hey, Taylor Swift's making a career out of it. I, but see, I don't know. <laughs> is that a muse or is that just a bunch of guys that she's sleeping with? <laughs> hey, are, those, hey, are those muses a or muse scapegoats? Muse, right, right. <laughs> that just screams marketing backstory to me. Mm-hmm. It's smart. Created. He's working for not natural. Yeah, yeah, no, but cool, cool. Yeah. But I'm just saying, did she go through this, or is this just a bunch of guys saying, "Here's what we need to make you human. Here's what we need to appeal to this particular demographic." I'd be surprised if it nah. wasn't the latter. Nah, she I, wrote an album about old boy. Yeah, she writes her own material. She, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I got to go back to a little bit on what I said based on what Jahan just said, and I think. You know, I said that Marvin probably would have found a muse, but I think what really makes Marvin unique in this aspect, I'm not saying he's the only artist to ever do this, but in this conversation, he, because, you know, to uh, John's Prince example, I think I agree. Prince would have found a muse, you know what I'm saying? And it might have been some chick walking down the street, you know what I'm saying? He wrote a whole song about her, you know what I'm saying? And I think that for Marvin, he needed the deep, deep ties and relationships that he went through. He needed to turn his muse into his madness. That's what he needed to do. He said he had dreams about Jan before he met Jan. You know, he had dreams about this girl dancing. And that's where the song, uh, uh, um, shit, just left my mind. After the uh, dance? After the dance came from, you know, and all she's dancing in a circle and everybody is watching her. He had dreams where he would be off in the, in the corner and all these men were watching her dance. Everybody was naked except for Marvin, you know, and he, he was the only one that could please her. Then he met Jan and then the obsession began. And it was like this long, you know, I was telling Arthur before we started taping the show, it's like, you know, you could do three or four movies just on this segment of his life. That's to me needed to happen for Marvin to inspire him to do the music he did. He would sit around, he was a recluse to some degree, just like his father. He would sit around between albums, people would have to drag him in the studio. 
it wasn't until he got that spark of inspiration and then boom he's off and running whereas a prince or someone i i, I would i would imagine almost michelle and the cello is the same way they in the studio so it's like look i'm here i need something to write about right. you know what i'm saying and it's like oh i saw that chick at starbucks this morning let but, me write about her like what i was gonna say you got to be honest and, and a lot of times it's dealing on the surface you know, with Marvin wasn't just dealing with the surface. He wanted to get to the layers of things, you know, from an artist standpoint. And so it wasn't just, look, I met this girl in the Starbucks. She was beautiful. It was like, I'm going to take you from the time I was dreaming about this woman to the time that I met her to the actual events that happened, you know, post us getting together. I'm going to take you through all of it, but I'm not going to start writing this with the dream. I'm going to have to go through it and then take you back. Can we say then that with Miles and Prince and Michelle, etc., etc., the muse served the music? Whereas, can we say with Marvin, to some extent, the music served the muse, as well as vice versa. I think I think music the, was a lot more about the muse. I think that the, I think maybe the more accurate statement is, for Marvin, the muse served his life, and then from his life, just he basically put his life on wax. You know what I'm saying? It's like some of these other artists. I think there's a filter there. You know, yeah, Susanna made this song maybe about Susanna, but had Arthur not told me that, I would have never known that. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. there's a filter there where it becomes like a, through the use of metaphor and play, play, you know, wordplay and yeah, it's more sophisticated. Music. Yeah, it just becomes you know something else. Whereas with Marvin, this is his life. Prince or maybe even Michelle is not going to do "Hear My Dear." I don't know if anybody was going to do "Hear My Dear." Well, then you know? let me ask you this: Did Marvin make this music? For everybody or did he make it for his muse did he make it he made it for himself you? he made it for himself he made it for, I, I i believe because even when anna came to hear hear my dear and she was all upset about it marvin was like well you know that's my side of the story she can go tell her right <laughs> you know what I'm saying? but at the same time i think there was something in him the, the artist in him still had a understanding and a feel for what was to a degree going to resonate musically maybe not vocally or from a written standpoint but musically, he still... He knows what sounds good. He, right, a, he knows what sounds good. Yeah. And, he, and he understood, you know, you want to move the minds of men. That's one of his greatest quotes. He said, if you're a true, a true artist, what, they're, what they want to do is move the minds of men. And he knew he could do that. He could do that vocally. He could do that from a songwriting standpoint. But musically, he, did, he wanted to move bodies and minds. So it's like, this has to connect with some other people now. I could be personal about Jan and him, my dear. I could do some what's going on stuff and just expose my feelings all to the world. These are my personal feelings, but at the same time, musically, mm-hmm. it has to resonate beyond yeah, he, what goes on knew, in the yeah, studio. That's what yeah, saying. He, has to, the it genius, has to. the genius comes in. He knows what sounds good. Exactly. Now, to this is something that may make Jahan happy. Marvin was similar to Jahan in the same sense that a lot of his greatest hits. I know Jay. Remember, we had the conversation. Was like uh, you said that mm-hmm. a lot of the greatest songs on some of these albums. That ended up being hits, you would have taken off. I think we were talking mm-hmm. about Prince at the time, but mm-hmm. a lot of Marvin's greatest songs were songs that he really wasn't feeling, was like, and you know, kind of ambiguous about. Yep. I got to give it up. He was like, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it became like, one of his yeah, biggest, biggest hits. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how how into sexual healing he was, you know, when it hit. So, you know, there's there's you know there's there's I think a sense in Marvin to to answer John's question. I think I don't know if he did it. I'm not gonna say he did it for himself, but I think he had something to say. Mm-hmm. You know, he he didn't get in the studio until he had something to say. When he had something whole, to say, he had to say it. His whole thing was about putting out a message. I have messages I have to put out. That's something that makes him very different from someone like Miles Davis and his muse, say, for a period of his life, Betty Davis. Whereas 
she really just introduced him to music, but it wasn't about her per se. It wasn't driven by her. She introduced him to Sly Stone. She introduced him to Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't like Jan or, or Anna. It wasn't driven by that experience. Well, talk to me about Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder arguably has as the masterpiece catalog of the ages. I mean, that, that kind of consecutive run from Talking Book through... Definitely through Songs of the Key of Life, but I'd extend that and take it all the way through Hotter Than July. But those four albums, Talking Book, Inner Visions, Pocahontas' first finale, and Songs in the Key of Life, Sarita Wright played a big part in the, in, in the creation of those albums. But, I, but I, I agree, but I think that's much more like the Betty Davis example than the Jan uh, Hunter or Anna Gordy example. Yeah, I think it was- it's much more that they're present in his life and mm-hmm. maybe introduce him to new things and, you know, it perhaps contribute to a particular mood or a particular approach he has to, to, to seeing the world. But It's presence versus obsession, you know, yeah, so I maybe agree. with, with Stevie, you got the, the, the presence, presence of the woman you know what I'm saying? A artist like Prince to me would probably wouldn't even allow himself to become obsessed with a woman, you know what I'm saying? And I think that... Well, I don't know. I mean, Susanna, if I was your girlfriend... Yeah, and it threw him off. Like, Susanna completely threw him off. Like, it was like, I don't think he had ever been obsessed. You're right. I give you that. He was obsessed with her. And I think it just completely threw him off his game for a second. We got some great music out of it. Shattered his equilibrium. (laughs) Right. But dude, like we talked about before, he's he's like a little pimp. And it was like, it just threw him off, you know? Right. Um, But I think that for Marvin, I just, I feel that he had to he has something to say and I don't know if it was necessarily for other people, but it was like, I need to get this. I have to say this. This is the only way I can live. This is to say it and get it on record. Um, but I, I agree with John. I think some of these other people were more like a presence in these artists life. Whereas Marvin was obsessed with these women. One more example and, and kind of uniting both topic conversations, actually all of them concept album, um, pain and pleasure and muse and madness. Mary Blige, my life. Mm, mm. That's a good example. Yeah, that's a good it example. Is. I mean, she's which was very which is her greatest guy. album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about pain and pleasure. Yeah, that's like her in. greatest album. Like, yeah, she she. I'm. You know what? I'm really angry that we didn't mention her up until now. Good. Thank you for for doing that, John. Because she in that early part of her career was very Marvin Marvin esque. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? As far people as, felt as people resonated to us. Yeah, and shame on up and you know shame on me because I feel like you know we skipped over her and that harkens mm-hmm. back to our whole male female thing, but. Yeah, Mary J is you know especially in my life, my God, you know yes. that was just like a you know a shot, a thunderbolt that mm-hmm. you know captured. It, it captured also she was you know had brought the whole and Jodeci was doing it a little bit too, but bringing hip hop into R and B and showing how an R and B singer can master hip hop in the same way MC can. But wow, you know song after song on that album, you know the heartbreak. It goes to the honesty though. Mm-hmm. Oh, and before we before we leave this topic though, the idea of the muse, I think what. You know, I keep talking about how what separates Marvin from other artists. Vulnerable in and of itself, to me, is the epitome of this 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 idea that how the muse fed him because he had tried to record those songs for like 15 years. You know, what I'm saying throughout his career, he tried to record these pop standards and never. And actually, one one album was released. And if you listen to it, it sounds very stilted. He sounds very unsure of his voice. He didn't want that release, though, right? I don't. That, I don't remember because it no, was no, released. Was, I was talking about. Felt it you're, you're talking about romantically yours, right? I don't even know the name of it. It was the album though with all the pop standards. I thought it was called the Ballads, but the same ones that were redone mm-hmm. as Vulnerable, right? 
Yeah, that's, that's the, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Those okay. the ballads. The ballads. No, it's romantic. It's Roman- romantically yours. It was romantically yours, and it was released by CBS on their own. They took the master tapes, as far as I understand. They took the master tapes and they basically said, "We're going to do this to fulfill contract." But he wasn't uh, recording at that time. Now, didn't and that David, was didn't David play a role in Vulnerable? Didn't he give him the idea and push it through and give him yeah, the title? Yeah, Vulnerable came out after he died. Vulnerable came out in '97. No, right? no, no. Hold on. Step back, though. Step back because I think we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the same album, and I, 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 I agree with you, John. I think CBS did release it later, but I'm talking yeah. about when he was in his mid mid twenties, mm-hmm. early twenties. He released this album while he was still with Motown. It was like listening to it. It's probably the same same album, but it was the, when it was originally released. It was just a kid, you know, singing these songs, wanting to be like Nat King Cole. Right, that was on Nat King Cole. Thing. He had to go through what he went through with Jan, with Anna, with everything over that next, you know, decade. And then when Vulnerable was released to you, uh, like you said, it was released posthumously. Posthumously, this album is to me, especially Shadow of Your Smile is an artist you know of any genre mastering it at the uh, he's a master of his craft it's like this is this is him and his peak when i hear shadow your smile like i said i think i said it on twitter um if an alien landed here from another planet and said what is music i would hand them shadow of your smile listen to this is what music is this is what singing is um it's again i can't i hate to keep using this term but it's heartbreaking but it's also um just from a technical standpoint you're like wow how does he go from this soft tenor to this falsetto to bringing it back again to conveying this emotion to you it's it's unbelievable so to answer the whole muse thing marvin does not do that that album that song especially but that you know but that whole album without his muses without going through what he went through and to answer your question yeah david uh wrist was was very integral now he gave him the title this because marvin had all these songs just on the tour bus on tapes you know on the floor you know throwing around here and there David was like, hold on, you know, let's listen to this, blah, blah, blah. And he brought it to Marvin when Marvin was over in uh, uh, Belgium, you know, when he went on his uh, his exodus, his, his self-exile or whatever. Um, he brought it to him then and they listened to it. And uh, yeah, it was released afterwards, but that's when they came up with the title. It was, was Vulnerable. Though you're the one love, baby That my heart and soul is longing for this is goodbye I won't cry Okay, let's go around the table. Who is the artist that's most influenced, in your opinion, by Marvin Gaye? For me, the artist that's been most influenced by Marvin Gaye, or perhaps that has most represented Marvin mm. Gaye's aesthetic mm. in terms of music, even lyricism, certainly vocals, is an artist from London called Lewis Taylor. Mm. And he's released um, five or six albums. His vocal kind of channeling of Marvin Gaye is present on all of them. I'm not saying he's a he's a facsimile or that it resonates the way Marvin does, but technique-wise and the way that he approaches singing, I think is 
almost identical to Marvin's. And her first album that he released, uh, just eponymous album, Lewis Taylor, is an incredible album. And his sense of music and his kind of mood and ambiance and approach to his craft is phenomenal. He's a multi-instrumentalist, plays bass, guitar, keyboards, vocals, as I said, all the background vocals by him, multi-tracking beyond belief. But it really is just, to me, the closest thing to Marvin that I've heard okay. since Marvin. Uh, me. Um, the artist that, to me, and again, I'll go with like what Jahan said, who's most represented kind of what Marvin stood for, uh, is Tupac. <laughs> I can't be mad at that. Um, but yeah, Tupac, to me, you know, even vocally, you know, mm-hmm. not to say he sounded or could sing, but I'm saying... In the context of hip-hop. In the context of hip-hop, you know... Tupac may have been the one of, if not the greatest vocalist, you know. I still uh, take one. But I and Ch- I'll throw Chuck in the conversation too, yeah. you know, and, and DOC to, to some degree. But yeah, I mean, up there at the top, here you go, Keith. Up there at the top is, you know, is, is Pac. And then also from an honesty level of just putting yourself in. And not to say that Pac was always honest because he wasn't. You know, there was times when he succumb to the whole uh you know the hip-hop you know kind of um standard form um he did that at times but he released or he recorded enough material where you know you could find many examples where he just put his life on wax and he was honest vulnerable um yeah he should do that too <laughs> yeah he should do that too um, but yeah, I think, you know, more than any other artist I can actually point to, I would say that that Pac pretty much represented, took took what Mar- took Marvin's example yep. um, and even said, you know, I remember when Marvin Gaye used to sing to me, had me thinking like, had me feeling like black was the thing to be, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, took his example and ran with it. Uh, I wish that Pac would have, you know, and we already talked about this before on this show, but I wish he would have after, you know, those first two or three albums really because he i mean he recorded so much stuff and a lot of it just got put out there you know uh, Lee, he's trying to make money right exactly but i really wish he would have we could have more of uh focused complete albums from him in the same way we got from marvin right. i think i really wish before he passed we would have got that um but yeah Pac. that's a great one i'm mad though you know what i'm mad we've gone this long in the show and i think john mentioned her briefly but we haven't mentioned erica yet and i think that erica badu her not necessarily you know i can't point to one album and say it but i gotta say man her honesty and her her sense of uh artistic and we are we, we dove into this heavily but her sense of artistic um exploration and experimentation um i think you know you can draw a line back to marvin on that one yeah i can um, see that so well yeah, actually I, now I that you mention it uh from the same camp at that time that kadar massenberg camp of the um early to mid 90s chico de marsh his his Ooh, first album his on first album, yes. Universal, mm. yeah, um, yeah. Long Time No See. Not Firstly, it's a concept album. Um, you know, he's just got out of jail. Yeah, jail. Yeah. He's, you know, he's got nothing. He's got no finances. He he's got a, he had a hit. Didn't he know, have one hit single off of that album? Yeah, like two. Yeah, yeah. Igging Me was the first single. Yeah. Mm. Um, and second single, I forget what it was, but beautiful songs. Miss Wonderful, No Guarantees, you know, got a one-room apartment. It's a little tiny place, but it's enough to keep the raindrops off my pretty baby's face. Mm. You know, he's he's really kind of saying, look, I, I have nothing here. And in a time when, you know, you know, throw your rollies in the sky, <laughs> a time when basically <laughs> right. Right, right, right. everything was about cash. He was like, well, hang on now. I haven't really got that much. It's a very moody album. And musically, sonically, it's actually very Marvin-esque. You know, it's, it's almost mm. it almost wears its Marvin credentials on its sleeve a little bit too proudly. 
unfortunately for him, he got lost in the shuffle in the D'Angelo sh- and Maxwell kind of shuffle at that time. Yeah. But um, uh, and you know, even cats like Genuine were out, and their kind of prowess, for example, or their braggadociousness and that kind of merge of hip hop and and R and B in terms of personality, I think eclipsed the very quiet, introspective personality that Chico was um, was putting forward. But but yeah, I think mm. that's definitely an honor- honorable mention here. The more the more you listen to Marvin, you see even you know outside of the barges, you see the impact he had on the Jacksons, on Michael and oh, Jermaine. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. it's like a lot. Even Michael's speaking voice is you know very reminiscent of Marvin's mm-hmm. speaking voice, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is funny to me. I'm surprised nobody mentioned Bilal with his range. Hmm. Him, I don't I don't think he qualifies. I and think I think but Bilal is like been given the material. I don't think with, with Lewis Taylor and Chico DeBarge. And and Mary, uh, you know, vocally they they there's an uncertainty almost there. I think Bilal is very very dynamic a vocalist, mm-hmm. and he's well. I mean, technic. Yeah, I don't know. Is you know we can discuss that, but he's very very dynamic. He he's, he puts his best foot forward, or well, he puts a foot very strongly forward. I just don't get the kind of lamentation or languish that I get from. The other okay. people that we mentioned. Wait, wait, can I say something real quick? How are you going to ask the question and you still haven't answered your question? You're like, you're, how, how come nobody's mentioned Bilal? <laughs> I mean, is, that, is that your pick? No. That's oh. How are you going to ask if you have a chance to do it? That's what I'm like. I can see if we had all done it and then he says that, but you still got How come nobody, including people? myself, has right. mentioned Bilal? Exactly. I'm like, how are you going to have that? Why don't you just say it? Who's your, who's your pick? <laughs> Not Bilal. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Right. <laughs> Actually, my pick is Michelle, Michelle Nego Cello. Okay. I think that with her with her catalog, she exhibits a good deal of isolation. Um, she also has has questioned the dichotomy between black sexuality and um, and um, concepts of Christianity, particularly in uh, Peace Beyond Passion, but also Comfort mm-hmm. Woman. Um, the departure that she made with Bitter. Where, where, where the you know the common thread through every every one of the songs is um, uh, love not reciprocated. Mm-hmm. She's not, n- nowhere really close to vocally, you know, but just the way that her styles have have evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, Madonna's label Maverick, you know, there was almost a, uh, a um, an encouragement for female expression. Mm-hmm. And that actually allowed Michelle to do the kind of music that she did. Well, let's let's be honest though. Marvin had not the benefit because it definitely wasn't a benefit. But just like you know, a movie star who dies before he really has you know a downward trajectory. It's like Marvin was on his way down. You know, it's like his last album wasn't a hit. You know, he had a hit song, "Sexual Healing," but before that, you know, it was it was it was looking grim. But he didn't live on to like like you know how old is Prince now? Prince is. 50 55 marvin died when he was 45 i think mm-hmm. i maintain he he didn't we didn't get to see him go through this long period of post fame right. you know exactly. what i'm saying whereas a lot of these artists you know they've been releasing albums for years and years and years and they've had the the benefit the good thing of, of living on um mary j blige you know like we keep talking about i love her but it's like she's been telling the same story for like the last four or five albums she always can pull a hit out you know what I'm saying she can get you at least one hit song but it's like the themes of her album seem to me to be saying the same thing. And it's like you 
you've already said that and you said it better on this album. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, I don't know if you need more experiences. I don't know, but something needs to happen. Usher's at that point right now in his life. He lost a child. He's in the Marvin Gaye vein of things. Can uh, Is this like Usher's Marvin Gaye moment to bring Usher has, all of that? We said it on the first or second show. Yeah. Every album Usher releases now, it's like he's fucking up his legacy. Right. Because if you look at where he was at in Confessions, yeah. ever since then, because he married this woman who's older than him, yeah, yeah. he's going through all this stuff, and then suddenly, and because today's gestation period is so much shorter, it's like you only got like five years to be hot, and then right. you're considered the right, old guy. Right, right. Suddenly, after Confessions, he was looked at as this veteran artist, and his mind state was like, I need to make these dance hits, techno hits, to stay in the club. Right. And I agree with you. It's like, dude, right now, what but this, this is this is the artist you're talking about exists right now is Usher. Usher has that point right now where you're looking at the death of a child, all the stuff that's going on in his life. He can bring all of that into the studio and create greatness and honesty around. Of course, and he's but done is it. He going to do it. No. And he's done okay. it before with Confessions, with the split up with uh, Chili. He, yeah, but but even on Confessions, even on Confessions, he had that crime against our ears that was the Little John track. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> that was a dance. But that was that, Jay, was, that was a classic, that was like man. That was, that was, that was, I, are you talking I about? I get your point. I get your point that it to me it didn't fit with the album, but as a single cut, it was it was the club hit of the oh, century was, or whatever. Yeah but, but, yeah. yeah, but so is that David Guetta shit. But we don't like that, right? I mean, the fact that it was a success is neither here nor there. I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> okay, I disagree with you on the quality of the song, but I agree what? with you on the fact that it did not belong on that album All right, but I maintain Usher <laughs> Usher and R. Kelly to me are the prime example and R. Kelly did it on the original Loveland album the one that didn't get released it was like oh my, I heard that I'm like this is this is mind blowing it was like suddenly it was like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye had come back to life or something it was incredible and then it didn't get released but I, yeah, I have to find it because it's on it's on a CD somewhere but I have to find it and it's like eight cuts one of them you're going to swear is Stevie Wonder you're never going to believe it's R. Kelly it sounds exactly like Stevie Wonder I'm about to make you guys mad again I think the only person who really could do it and should do it and has got the the life experience his psychological issues and his own, by his own admission, his his affinity with Marvin Gaye, an almost kind of supernatural, weird affinity with Marvin Gaye, D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not talented enough to do it. Well, I think he is talented enough to do it, but I, I mean, I maintain, man, his greatest songs, you know, I mean, not his greatest songs, but his majority of his catalog is covers. So it's like I can't say that you're talented enough to do a "Hear My Dear" type joint if the majority of your shit has been covers. It's like. You you know you're not talented enough to in my eyes, but see, I think I, see... I think Peyton I think Peyton had something. I think if Sadiq became a Leon Ware, mm-hmm. if you know what what Leon Ware was to I Want You, if Sadiq got together with D'Angelo and gave him the material, I don't know. I think that would that that could be something. What special. is he? Sadiq has to be in that relationship. Sadiq is going to be the driver, and he's going yes. to he's going to maintain that position. And yes. the Leon Ware gay uh, 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 dynamic. Leon Ware is the presenter and then Marvin becomes the driver to the point where because T-Boy Ross was in those sessions too and Marvin kicked him out because okay. you know he's driving too much I know but let me I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm ignorant to the situation but I'm trying to think outside of possible drug situations what else is going on in D'Angelo's life that has depth to this degree nobody knows because he's well we know, know we don't know I think, I think the drugs con- but no, I, think I think drugs is enough of a torture, isn't it? No, 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 not, not when the original concept is that, that started off this was the death of a child. But Marvin didn't experience that, so. But no, no, but we're talking about just being honest in the situation that presents itself right now. Yeah, that's. But there are others who could. There are others who can experience it, right? I get that. 
Okay, my thing is, what, what is going on? I'm trying to wonder where the depth no, no, is it's coming from. It's just, Delangelo's I mean, it's, life that he can it, bring it to the, the table. Of, I don't see it, it. It, it. It's the torture of addiction and the specter of a wasted opportunity and a wasted career. You know what? To deal with myself, I think the thing that stops D'Angelo is not that he's not talented enough, not even, I think, not by a long shot. I think the thing that stops D'Angelo is he's too... He feels he needs to impress. And I think that that gets in the way of his honesty and that gets in, in you know, the, 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 the thing that we didn't maybe hit on with Marvin is despite having Stevie around him, despite having Smokey, all mm-hmm. these fantastic artists around him, he never went through that Michael Jackson, I got to top myself. He never went through that D'Angelo, okay, now we got to, or that Questlove, we got to do something spectacular here. We got to blow their minds. They're not ready. They're not this, you know, whatever. You need to listen to this album to even understand, to conceptualize what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. With Marvin, he really just... It was that emotionally raw for him. It was that open. He just let it go. He made it for himself. He didn't make it yeah. for Anna. He didn't make it for Jan. He didn't make it for an audience. The problem with D'Angelo is I think he, whether he wants to do it or not, he feels he's got to make music for Questlove's audience. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, see, that's a good line right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He got to make for, for Questlove's nation. <laughs> right. But you know what? To, to be honest, let's take, if you look at Marvin's life and take the cocaine abuse out of it, Really, everything he was going through was some for a superstar was some normal shit. Marvin just dramatized it to the point where it was like it became like, you know, instead of I'm just having trouble with my wife, he throws all this. He instigates all this stuff. So it becomes the battle between, you know, uh, these two gods of love. And that's where that's where all this this drama came from. So Marvin could take a small incident and make it into something you might go watch you know, on, on Lifetime on a Sunday afternoon or some shit. <laughs> Last point, Arthur, you mentioned Michelle. You said not vocally, blah, blah, blah. But she does have a vocal uniqueness beyond most other artists. Oh, definitely. I mean, she's almost got a male voice. It's like she's almost got a, you know, a man's tenor. Well, she can hit those. She can bring that, like I was she talking about with really Marvin, that. that she can bring that, that um, on some songs, that softness, mm-hmm. that's yeah. startling. That's, that, mm-hmm. that Where it's like a whisper, but it's a very yeah, deliberate discernible if you, if you listen to bittersweet off of peace beyond passion i think she sings that beautifully or, or fool of me she sings beautifully oh my god fool of me that's that song is devastating that yeah. song is devastating and i think that um she's at her you know outside of prince i gotta say in the 80s and 90s you know she's in the 90s no one sings about sex like her you know, right the right, remake right. of love you down is like right that made me like the song <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm, I'm so mad at you for this ready for the world just drop your ready for the world hate all right we're gonna do a show around that. it's real easy he it, don't like ready for the world simply well, because they sound like prince and they was imitating dude they came out with cuts jams come so on arthur. really you think arthur you think that they're like a sort of exotic storm or a lilo thomas or just a sort of makeshift he got beef with them <laughs> like they stole his shit it's easy it's like okay hey fellas curls jerry curl you and not- ruffles are hot they were where, you know where they were from how are you not mad at jesse johnson because jesse johnson had that look first right. really but dog he was light-skinned with curl that whole dark skin curl thing you know it was too down soft for Arthur. <laughs> wow <laughs> Jesse was right. brown skin, but yeah, ready for the world with the color of our hair. But dog, but <laughs> wow, but dog, wow, wow. Let wow. me give me some ready for the world cuts. Love you down. Oh Sheila. Oh, oh Sheila. Sheila. What's the other the real strong love cut? Though? I mean the slow jam though. Come on, man. These songs come out and it's like you can't be mad at them. If they had to imitate Prince to get there, God bless them then. <laughs>
imitators ass think they more. were huge I, I didn't think they were huge imitators though I mean I can name loads loads of actors they, 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 greater again, Minneapolis sound aesthetic than they did I, I think anyway right and they had a dope name ready for the world dope. So how was that even what I mean look at the names that were going around at the time ready for the world was hella fire unique to me it yeah. was, Other than on. that, it was Midnight Star, Atlantic Star. <laughs> so, Bunch of stars. No, no, it's interesting because you were, you know, I mean, obviously we all loved Michael very much, but growing up, at least in London, and I'm sure it was the case where everywhere where you guys were, you were either, you know, you could love both, but you claimed Michael or you claimed Prince. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it was in exactly Especially in the, the same way years. you loved both, but you claimed Jodeci or you claimed Boys to Men. Mm-hmm. And right. in the same way you loved both, but you'd claim New Edition or you'd claim Ready for the World. Or no, you, nah, or Troop. <laughs> or Troop, right? You new Edition troop. or okay. I don't, But I, think, yep. I, don't, I don't think there was, I don't think Ready for the World was big enough to be even put in the whole New Edition category. I think right. they, and they still, weren't I a dance group. They weren't a dance group. Oh, Sheila did his thing, but they were just kids. They were, they were like 16-year-old, 17-year-old kids from down south just, you know, trying to make it, you know, Trying to fit into the music is I don't think Prince had anything to do with it. You I, know, mean, he, it I mean, Prince, every, they looked like everybody off the block down south. They really did. And they really were. I spent a day with them. I was working at WYLD radio station in New Orleans and wow. I had to spend a day with them. You know, and that's all they were. They were kids. Wow. See, a problem they a problem even, that I have, not we're ready for the world, but just period, was that because I was listening to so much Prince, because I was so saturated, um, it filtered a lot of stuff. I can see that. It just felt, I mean, there's like stuff, there's like periods of music that I just flat out missed. (laughs) She'd have been mad at Andre Simone. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I I can see that, but I think Prince influenced everything during that decade, you know what I'm saying? Especially the latter part of that decade, but, you know, Ready for the World, come on, man. Starting a song off with, you know, I never thought you were too old for me. You know, it's like, just the, like, come on, man. But to back to the original point. Michelle and the she, she like owns that song now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and she put that hard bass line in. It's like, that's the slow jam mm-hmm. of the last couple of years. That's one of the best slow jams I've ever heard. But I think what Arthur was trying to say is that is she sings very well, but she can't sing in context as well as Marvin does. That's oh, what no, said no, vocal, no. and that's no. what I think he said we meant by vocally. I tell you what, who wants to be Marvin? Could you imagine if she produced a Marvin Gaye album? Oh, that would have been hot. That'd have been insane. That'd have been, yeah. been hot. They, they should they that, should give her hot. master tapes. Man, uh, I'll tell you who wants to be Marvin and kind of wants to be Prince too is my man uh, Raheem Devon. His first album, I think, was very Marvin-esque. He couldn't, he couldn't get out of his own way though. If you listen to that album, the songs are almost is the songs were too long, and then he talked through the whole album. But it's like I saw where he was trying to go. If he stayed with W. Ellington Felton, his homeboy from D.C., yeah, definitely, I can see it much closer in that context. Mine is simple. I'm kind of uh, go go off topic, or off whatever is not. It's a different type of influence. My answer to the most influential is, is Frankie Beverly, and strictly before without Marvin Gaye, there would have there would have probably not been a Frankie Beverly made. He's the one that kind of discovered them, took them in, paid their rent, you know, did everything for them out there in L.A. And to me, I've always looked at Frankie Beverly and Mays as Marvin's gift to the world, like mm. like like. Donnie Hathaway up. was Curtis Maysfield's gift. Marvin Gaye is responsible for Frankie Beverly. Yeah, and he, he brought no them out to L.A. They lived with, he paid their, he, first they lived with him. The group lived with Marvin. Then when they went on, he paid their rent, started them on shows. He's responsible for Frankie Beverly and May. So the I influence, did not know that. you know, I think that's the biggest one. And it, you don't hear it musically, but without that, without being that being their foundation and their introduction to the music industry, without Marvin playing that role, 
no telling if you know Frankie would have ever even been had a chance. So the that's gift, to me the gift that keeps on giving. Right, <laughs> right. And I think that's great. You look at artists, and like I said, I always made that comparison with Curtis Mayfield. His gift to us was Donny Hathaway. You know, he's like, all right, here you go. I'm on. You know, you pass on that torch, and I think Marvin, more than any other artist, directly passed on that torch. Frankie and left Beverly, it with Frankie Beverly. Yeah, and that so. was the exception because there was a lot of people who were trying to get close to Marvin. Uh, Rick James among them. Well, he gave and, one of his women. So right, <laughs> right, but he couldn't, too, he couldn't really take Rick under his wing because Rick was calling him Uncle Marvin. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, Mar- and Marvin didn't like that. He's right. like, I don't want to feel like the old cat. And then you had uh, the Jackson Five, you know, kind of looked at Marvin as an inspiration, you know, especially Michael um, and Jermaine. Um, but yeah, Frankie Beverly Mays was the but He came outside exception. of the Motown thing. They, they were, you know, they they had a different introduction to Marvin. And Marvin heard them and was like, you know what? He basically did what he wanted to do. He said, somebody has to get these cats a chance. You know, and the way black music was going back then, he didn't know if they were going to be he was He was always for the underdog. Always. Marvin was always for the, because he, even with his, uh, the duets with uh, Diana Ross didn't go over well. You know, they started off and Marvin basically showed up like, you know, this is my, you know, it's just like egos clashing right. and Marvin could out sing her, which was of a problem. Course. And so they ended up recording the rest of that album separately, mm-hmm. you know, and then put it together. And he just, he just, but if it comes to the underdog, cause like I said, the, I think it was the night watchman or whatever at the studio would help them write inner city blues. You know, it's like, that's the type of people Marvin like, uh, uh gravitated right. towards. So I, yeah, Frankie Bell, I think that's, that's a great pick. Cause that's the, like I said, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. And, and look at the impact that they have had on black music over the last 20 years, you know, how huge they've become. And, you know, to me, looking at that linkage between those two, it's hard to think what black music would be without Frankie, Beverly, and Mays being at the center of that. And part of the reason they are there, a large part of the reason is because of Marvin Gaye. This has been episode 21 of the Music Snobs. We are online at themusicsnobs.com. The full show library is located at soundcloud.com slash themusicsnobs. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash themusicsnobs. And Twitter, our Twitter handle is totalmusicsnobs. Thanks again.